Well, allow me to formally uh, welcome you to the adult Bible class this morning. It's good to see you uh, come in uh, to see some uh, old faces as well. Very welcome, and welcome to those joining us online. Let us open our uh, Bible class in prayer, please. Merciful and glorious God and Father, in the name of thy Son, uh, we have this privilege to approach thy throne and to call upon thee and to call thee Father. Father, we do thank thee uh, that thou hast brought us in, into the presence of thy Son, his Spirit, in the house of the Lord this morning. And we pray, Lord, as we continue our examination of the commandments through the shorter catechism, that, Lord, that I will impress thy word upon our hearts, Lord, that we would endeavor to be a holy people. Uh, Lord, give us help, we pray, and forgive thou our sins in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your copies of God's Word to Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20, and we'll read a few verses toward the end of that chapter. Leviticus 20, which is really in a, uh, the law that expounds and applies the seventh commandment in its many ways. We will not go through all of those uh, commandments now. But we will read the summary from verse 22 to 24. Leviticus 20, verse 22 to 24. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, that the land whither I bring you to dwell therein spew you not out. And ye shall not walk in the manners of the nations which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people." Amen. So we come to then the uh, question 72 of the Shorter Catechism. It's maybe good to remind ourselves of the, uh, the previous uh, two questions and answers. A bit of context. So question 71 uh, poses this question, which is the seventh commandment? And the answer, the seventh commandment is, thou shall not commit adultery. And then question 71 was, what is required in the seventh commandment? And the seventh commandment requireth the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior, which leads to today's question and answer, what is forbidden in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment forbiddeth all unchaste thoughts, words, and actions. So under the, the word adultery, we are to just remind ourselves to consider every, every form of unchaste behavior, thought, word, all uncleanness of whatever kind or in whatever manner it is committed is, is forbidden under that broad term, uh, adultery. Ephesians 5 and verse 3 it helps us in that regard. It says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, 
let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Of course, it is to be mentioned in the teaching as we open up the law. That's not what it means. It means it's not to be um, a matter of light jesting um, among you or even the topic of your conversation in the sinful way, which is really the heart of what we're looking at when we consider thoughts and words at the moment. This question, question 72 of the Shorter Catechism, it really emphasizes that the breakers of the commandment uh, may be guilty of unchastity or uncleanness in a, in a variety of ways in, in various levels. Uh, we looked at that last week as well. But it uses that word thoughts, words, and actions. And, and, and question 71, when it spoke of preserving the chastity, of yourself and your neighbour. Again, you had those three levels, and it used different words, heart, speech, and behaviour. And if you examine both words, is there a difference? Well, there is maybe some difference between, between uh, heart and thoughts in some way, uh, but there's not really a difference at all. Really, the first one speaks of the life of the inner man. Uh, the second speaks of the words that are brought forth from the life of the inner man. And then the, the, the third one is really examining the the actions of the outer man which are based upon the desires of the inner man and even of the words of course the words which incite to uncleanness so really we're considering today that the, the polluting of man uh, when we consider uh, that which is forbidden in the for a seventh commandment, the polluting of man. So we see then, and we're going to take those three levels as, as the answer does to understand something of it. So we have the, uh, the pollution by thoughts. And again, we might have this idea that the heart, the heart doesn't have thoughts, although we know in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew world they, they certainly spoke about the thoughts and the imaginations uh, of the heart. And it was interesting, I heard something... Uh, uh, very recently um, by a scientist, uh, um, I think it was a scientist, explaining the fact that the, the heart itself is not just a muscle that pumps, it does have a nervous system, and not just a nervous system to uh, incite the beat. Of course, we know that it does have that uh, system that runs along it to make sure all the four chambers uh, uh, contract at the right time to have that uh, complete heartbeat and, and so that we can have a good blood circulation. He says that there's more than that. There's actually a neural network within the heart, a neural network very similar to the brain, obviously not as dense as the brain and not as complicated as the brain, but it, there is a neural network. And that neural network, it would, it would appear, would remember, remember emotions and would react to emotions as well. Um, I haven't got anything else to say on that, but I just think that's a very interesting thing when we consider the thoughts of the heart, that that is reflected uh, as science understands the heart more. Firstly, let us think of the pollution by thoughts. Men and women uh, are chargeable before God. Uh, they are guilty before God when they ha have unchaste, unclean, impure thoughts and when uh, lustful desires are then entertained by those, uh, those thoughts, or those thoughts become entertained and, and the imaginations uh, get to work, we could use the word fantasy, uh, is used a lot, but when those thoughts are gratified and entertained in the mind, it is as it were they're acted out in the mind. Not, not in the actions, maybe you won't hear them in the words, uh, but the life within is an adulterous life, uh, or at times an adulterous life. 
life. Now, the Old Testament in Proverbs 6 and 18, it speaks about the heart that is wicked. It says, an heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. And then it goes on to the third step, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Compares the two. One is really the product of another. And of course we know what the Lord said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount when he was regarding the, the, the inner life of the person, even regarding fornication. And he says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So we see the breaking of the seventh commandment uh, inside, although people do not see it on the outside. But it's happening on the inside, and it is... It's something whereof we can be guilty. It's something whereof uh, we sin against, or whereby we sin against God. It is a wickedness. It is an immorality. And there are several ways and places that uh, lewd thoughts and imaginations can be planted within the heart, within the mind, within the, the realm of imagination. And the most obvious examples I would suggest is we just consider our own life and our own society, lewd songs, songs that speak of things in a graphic way, of course pornographic literature, uh, intimate dancing, uh, and then I would go on to things like the, the rest of the in entertainment industry when we think of the theatre, cinema, uh, television, Pop music, again, that's really going back to the lewd songs when we're thinking about it. When we think of all uh, popular music, I'm not, I'm not just talking about pop, but it, but it would include rock and country and western and folk music. You know, even ancient folk songs are not always pretty songs speaking of, of, of an innocent love or a, or a glorious countryside. There, there, there can be lewdness to be found in those also. And, of course, the Internet itself and comedy, but we'll look at a couple of those in a little bit more detail in a minute. But essentially the, the, the entertainment industry, theatre, the internet, films, television programmes, they really have a special role in polluting the hearts and the minds of, of, of all society. They encourage unchaste thoughts. They, they want to plant these images and these words and these ideas, um, either from personal testimony or from works of fiction, into the hearts and the minds of, of all these aspects. And and that's really because one of the most, the strongest themes that you'll have in songs and in, in drama is, is love. Love stories. Or we could actually say lust stories would be a closer uh, description. But really, most often, more often than not, these, these love stories that you see in films and are described in songs are nothing more than sexual adventures. Nothing more than adulterous and promiscuous behavior that is spoken of, that's encouraged. And even when you have a more innocent relationship, a more innocent love story, then quite often there is a, an extramarital aspect to, to that relationship shown in the film, encouraged in the film, exemplified in the film, shown to the to whole of society that this, this, this is fine, this is, this, this is normal, which of course it is not, because they do not wait until marriage before the consummation of their relationship. The, the films that would do that would be very old films or very rare Christian films uh, these days. So what we have, and you'll know this yourself, you'll know this from family, you'll know this from your own experience, what was absolutely f forbidden and wicked in general 
course, there's always been an undercurrent of, of, of deep immorality in society from the very beginning, from the beginning of the fall. There's always been a wickedness, uh, but it's never always, and at times it has become more popular and more accepted. Uh, you see that certainly in, in heathen times, but you see that in, in, in the heyday of Rome, there's such wickedness amongst the priests and, and, and the, the cardinals was, was known about in the 1300s, the 1400s, the 1500s, and, and in, in many ways accepted uh, by society, certainly accepted by many in the church with a few exceptions. But then if you think about the time of, of the... And, and that was affected by the time of the Renaissance. The Renaissance was not just a, 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 a reawakening of understanding of science and literature, but it was also a reawakening of public sexual immorality. And you had the same with the time of the Restoration and later on in the, the time of the Awakening uh, with, with all the, the, the brothels and the gin houses in London. Again, these things... Uh, and even open sodomy. And, and so it has happened, and one great reaction to all of that was the Victorian age. Again, there was a lot of fake religion, but it was lots of reaction to the immorality of the previous generations. And we see again that uh, from, from, I would say, the Second World War was a great um, player in, in, in pushing uh, immorality. Uh, on society. We tend to blame the 60s, but the 60s came forth because of the 40s. Uh, but we see where we are today. Which gives us encouragement in the sense that it's no, we're not just now dealing with something that's never happened before. It has happened before again and again, the great immorality uh, in society and accepted in society of all sorts. Uh, but that we can see also that the Lord uh, has mercy and brings forth times of a refreshing and, uh, and a moral wave coming again. We know that moral wave in and of itself is, is not um, a, sal a, sal a matter of salvation, um, but is as often an, uh, a fruit of the move of the Spirit in revival and awakenings. But it is the repeated viewing and hearing, and that's why of, of, of lax morals that debauch and defile the mind of those that watch. And that's why our Puritan forefathers were so much against the theatre. They were against the theatre because debauchery was there, and if debauchery wasn't necessarily shown on the stage, which it was, if you know your Shakespeare, you know that it was full of filthy jokes. Uh, and double entendres and all these, these, these matters, but also the actors themselves were known to be uh, debauched in their lifestyles. In fact, for many, uh, that was a place where um, a slightly upper-market prostitute could be found amongst the actresses and the actors even. So our Puritan forefathers were very much against the attending of these plays, and by extension, they've always warned, uh, even in, in later days, of course, with the, with, the, with the beginning of Hollywood and things like that, of the great wickedness that is there. And, and although in comparison with today, it seems to be very tame, uh, if you ever see uh, certain clips, um, it, it, it is far from being uh, moral according to the Scriptures. So what happens then is when you get defiled... Uh, when the thoughts are changed, well, then the society as a whole changes, but your own personal moral compass will change as you become more and more exposed to this. 
because it becomes more and more acceptable. It also incites, excites your own lustful desires. And who then becomes the moral teacher of society? Because they certainly don't come into the churches to hear the truth anymore. Well, it means that these entertainers, these actors, these actresses, or whoever, they are their moral teachers and they are their moral influencers. And even if such a drama does not have that effect upon the Christian, because the Christian, because the Lord has done that work uh, and, and has granted a victory over those sorts of lusts, and yet you see these things, they pass by you, they, they repulse you. Uh, they don't have that effect to excite, uh, they have that effect to abhor, to, to, to put you off, because it doesn't have that power over you, and yet it still has great danger being exposed to this music and to this, this entertainment, to these stage plays, because it makes light of what is gross immor grossly immoral. Grossly immoral and wicked before God. Um, and, and then we tend to think, well, okay, it, it comes so hard and fast upon us that it also be almost becomes too much. And so it tends to minimize our own abomination of these sins. And all of these influences that there are in the world that we might allow through the eye gate and the ear gate, that's all fuel. That's all fuel. And so for the believer, the believer that struggles with sexual sin, it would be a fuel for that fire. Uh, but even so, as I said, it can bring down your standards of what is acceptable in society or what you will hear and what you will see. You know, all songs include that, all films always have that, and, and, and so we might, 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 might fast forward over it, and yet but we're still a consumer of that product and we're still giving money to Hollywood. And therefore it is the duty of every believer to take the moral threat, threat of the entertainment industry very seriously, because the entertainment minis uh, industry, ministry we could call it, the entertainment ministry of the devil... Um, knows how to tap into the human desires and heart and mind in all these different ways. There's a power to music, but there is a power to entertainment, how to manipulate humans. And it is, as it were, we could say it's like strong magic. It just knows how to draw people in, and therefore it's very, very addictive. It's very addictive. Get you to sit there. You don't have to do anything. You just sit there and become a passive recipient on things that work on the mind and on the emotions, on the heart, uh, upon yourself. You get, you get a thrill. And without you having to, it doesn't, as it were, cost you anything except the money to buy uh, the DVD or the download or whatever. It doesn't cost you anything besides that. And yet you can go through a roller coaster of, of, of emotions, happy and sad. And, and it's just constant manipulation. And, and because of that, it is very strong, the, 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 the love for entertainment. But let us know it by its fruit. What is its fruit? Well, the films, the television programs, the music, the actors, the actresses, the singers, the entertainments, the comedians, the celebrities are almost to a man godless and immoral. I would say, would you be happy to invite such people into your house and that they would have free reign to speak to your children on these matters and, and, to, and to influence you and, and your own heart for, for, for bad? Well, you wouldn't. So am I suggesting you do away with all entertainment? If you make that decision, I think it's a good one. But I think you do need, do need a lot of discernment, a lot of biblical discernment to discern that which is good and that which is bad. You say, well, you know, the Beatles were a great force for evil. 
in the world, in their own behavior, in inciting people to, or encouraging people to get involved in, 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 uh, in Hinduism and in, uh, and in their own uh, immoral lifestyles and, and rebellious attitudes and the like. And there may be one or two songs you could say were very pretty songs very pretty songs, and maybe that is your discernment. You say, well, 95% oh, of them, you know, there's rebellion and wickedness and, and godlessness, and, and there's a few, a few melodies, and you, as it were, you, you chew the meat and you spit out the bones. Well, that might be how you practice your discernment. You say, no, it's popular music. I'll have nothing to do with it. That, again, is, a, is between you and, and the Lord, but it is to avoid, flee from wickedness, flee from sin and all appearance of sin. That's pollution by thoughts. And we spent a longer time on that because that really is the fuel. That's the furnace. That, that, without that, there's nothing else. That's the, the foundation and the bedrock of the other sins that we'll look at now and very briefly. So secondly, the, having seen the pollution by thoughts, the pollution by words, and there will be, of course, some overlap here. Ephesians 4 and verse 29 says this. It says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it might minister grace unto the hearers. So whatever comes out of the mouth, therefore, is a product of that which has gone into the heart. And whether it's vicious insults, whether it's slander, whether the words of despising, whether it's gossip, whether it's lies, whether it's language that... Um, the pride-filled language that, that exalts yourself and, and denigrates others. And there's so much more that we could say, or, 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 or unchaste language, which would bring it more precisely to where we're looking at today. It only comes out because it's a reflection of that which is inside. They're not the words on the tongue that come out of your mouth and you say, oh, you know, I shouldn't have said that, that's true. But it's only a reflection of the, of, of the moral rot that's inside. And everyone carries, even born-again Christians have moral rot within. And, but the, the, the demand of the Scriptures is we do not allow that moral rot to remain within us. We, we, we discover it, we're convicted of it, we should be convicted of it, and we repent of it. And we desire of God that He would grant us grace, that we would have victory over it. So the 20 years' time, that, that we won't have the same tendency uh, to, 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 to use words of, 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 of cursing and slander as we did 20 years previous to that. There should be some, uh, some improvement. There should be much improvement. And so it is the case, uh, as we were considering, uh, as now, we now consider with the words, product of that which has gone inside and been allowed to fester and grow. And, make you, and, and, and let, well, let's just limit it. It's so easy to make a broader application of it, but what are these unchaste words then? What are these words that are unclean? Well, they're filthy words, they're obscene words, smutty discourse, anything, anything that you would consider offensive and disagreeable to modest or innocent ears. Now, you can have an example, say, would you say these things in front of the children? When we went to visit, I went and took... Um, and my two young uh, daughters, when we went, went to visit Mrs. Flynn a couple of weeks ago in the hospital, and there was a, a, one of the, the ladies on the ward, and she was ranting against one of the nurses and using terrible language and, and, and saying terrible things and using obscene language as we were coming in. And, uh, and so as we just came up to her, she was next to the nurse's station, and, uh, and I just said, not in front of the children, please. And then she looked and saw the children. Oh, yeah, not in front of the children. And then she was very quiet. 
But it, it just gives an idea of some, I mean, that's not our moral standard, but it gives an idea that there have been moral standards. And so not in front of the children, not in front of grandma, not in front of the minister, but I would say even better, would you say these things in front of Jesus Christ? Would you slander someone in that way in front of Jesus Christ? Would you make that blue joke? I don't know if you use that word blue in, in, in America for dirty jokes, but would you use that sort of humor in front of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, of course not. So he is our standard. And if we think we can get away with these things, well, maybe we've still got too much atheism in our hearts to realize that the Lord is nigh, that the Lord sees and knows all things. He knows your heart. And he knows the filth that's coming out of the mouth that comes forth out of those filthy parts of the heart. Paul says in Ephesians 5 and verse 4, he says, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, are not suitable, do not fit a Christian, he means, but rather the giving of thanks. So neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. Well, I mean, if we want to give that a very precise... Uh, I mean, that's a general thing anyway for, for Christians... Uh, but in the case of the Seventh Commandment, what we might consider is then, again, think of the entertainment industry and the power of comedy. The power that comedy has to teach gross immorality. Uh, and that there, is, there is much comedy, of course. There's always been a lot of comedy on television. And I know myself that in the, in, in the 60s and 70s, I mean, not that I was around in the 60s, but in, even in the 70s and shows that were repeated, uh, I was brought up watching television, is that uh, in the 70s especially you, you would have men who would make lewd jokes and make jokes above, over the, the heads of the children but the adults would know what they were talking about you know wink wink nudge nudge and, and all these aspects and then there, there would be the men uh, homosexuals in the entertainment industry and it, and it only took say the growing up of that generation for sodomy to be very acceptable because hey they like those people have you noticed they're in the entertainment industry they are the they are the the, the hosts of, of chat shows they are the, the the witty the comedians they are the transvestites that go on the television and that just brings down and they use humor so we have the power of music the power of entertainment in general but the uh, the power of music the power of film but now the power of comedy to corrupt and, and, and the more morally corrupt types might not be seen on the television but they're in the comedy clubs they're on the internet and they can be uh, very gross in what they say and, and, and if we're going to come back to that ministry of entertainment the ministry of, of wickedness well we could say that these these people stand there these men and these women stand there and, and sort of give off satanic sermons <coughs> And speaking about all these things, what, to, what you can do. And, 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 and every time that they're speaking of sin in such a light way, they're bringing down sin, they're bringing down the wrath of God over sin, they're making sin such a, a, a laughing matter, which is what the Lord was really saying in, in Leviticus 20, as we read. And you shall not walk in the manner of the nations which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things. So it was, and it is, in the heathen world, so, so common, all sorts of, of immoralities. And, and they've always made it part of the religion as well. I mean, look at the corruptedness of the false Christianity of Rome. It, 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 it's, it's, it swims in, 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 in immoral sewerage still to this day. And many of these comedians then not only make a laughing stock of sin, but they make a laughing stock of true religion. They're blasphemers. And the thing is, listening to such humor, again, it has that effect upon you. 
that this, this sin is not so terrible that, that your reaction to that sin or to people who commit that sin shouldn't be too terrible because hey that person although they're a sodomite or or whatever uh, you quite like them and and that, that's how that's how we become less holy in our own standards towards the world but you also you might copy the jokes that was a really good joke ah it's a bit on the edge but I know somebody will like that and then you commit sin with your own lips copying unchaste language and likewise with the lyrics in popular music as I mentioned often lewdly immoral so we've already looked upon this but when we start singing them start singing them or playing the piano and 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 you're repeating the lyrics you can be guilty of sinning with the lips not realizing that those lips like the rest of your body and soul have been bought by the blood of Christ and it shouldn't be on the lips and we could also carry on unchaste language is, is used to increase the others into that which is unclean in the sense of flirting 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 can be I mean much of flirting is a lie much of flirting is uh, is an attempt to manipulate somebody to get your own way but also the use of language in the sense of judging and commenting on people as regards to how they are attractive to you sexually again this is unchaste language making a comment in those ways so the pollution by thoughts the pollution by words and thirdly and finally the pollution by actions now there is much to be said in this as we open up a world of of wickedness so what has been what has been festering in the heart that which spills over from the heart into the words upon the lips it has its has its ultimate fulfillment in the actions and the behavior of the body and so and and often when we think we think of the actions only but the lord doesn't He, he considers the words that are on the lips and he considers the the motivations and the desires and the lusts and uh, and the fantasies of the heart and so what is what is this adultery then we've mentioned it before well uh, uh, i would say adultery is this adultery is is the broader understanding of all fornication all of unchaste uh, action uh, all physical and sexual encounters that are forbidden in the scriptures that all fall outside of biblical marriage and we've got some very obvious ones, of course. We consider the promiscuity. We consider um, uh, sodomy, of course, is a very, very clear um, sin. But we also have other matters as well. Polygamy, having more than one um, uh, spouse. Um, unjust, we could, we could split that up into polygamy and polyandry, but we don't have to be so, um, so precise what about uh, unjust divorce because there is divorce in the scriptures which is which is permitted but that's in a very a very very fine line uh, general fornication that is all we could say then if you're going to be technical uh, technical fornication is is all that which takes place before marriage or outside of a marriage um, but before marriage and then actual adultery is that which takes place which is fornication with one or more of those sinners being married at the time 
So there are many, many things to be, to be understood. Sodomy itself is a very unnatural sin, and it is, uh, it is clearly in the law of Moses, uh, mentioned uh, twice in the law of Moses. Uh, we even go further back into Genesis, where we're confronted with the sins of the five cities of the plain, specifically Sodom and Gomorrah, but the other cities, of course, were also uh, affected. Uh, we see also in, in one of the prophets speaking about the sin of Sodom, including the fact that they were heartless, they were heartless, and, uh, and they did not give. They were not pleasing to help the poor and give works of charity. Now we have the liberals who say, "Ah, that's the sin of sodomy," you know, not not giving a helping hand, not being not 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 being kind to your neighbour, not not helping the poor. That and they didn't do that. That's why God was angry with them. Of course, they're trying to find an excuse to permit sodomy. That's not what the scriptures say. I would say the scriptures are saying that's a fruit of the sodomite lifestyle. The Sodomite lifestyle is so, is so turned in upon yourself and your own pleasure. I mean, you don't have to look after a child, naturally. You haven't got any children to look after. You're not in a, a, in a long-term covenantal relationship with someone. If that doesn't fit, you, know, you walk away, you go to somebody else. So you, you're constantly teaching your selfish character to be even more selfish and self-focused and whatever pleases me at this time, I will do. And, and whoever pleases me at this time, I will do. And so a natural fruit of that is that they are not at the forefront of helping other people. They haven't learned to be fathers. They haven't learned to be mothers uh, in that way. In general, of course, there are those that are fathers and mothers and have been, and have been perverted and, and have broken their own marriage vows. But that's, that's not what we're considering in detail now. But you see that there is a lack of, of, of affection and love and self-sacrifice uh, amongst that group because the only thing they're considering is, is going to the clubs, well, a modern, modern uh, analogy, going to the clubs, uh, you know, and, and having fun. I mean, there are plenty in the heterosexual world that do the same. Uh, and having fun and then, and then going home and then, you know, rinse, wash and repeat and that's it that's just the, the lifestyle of how they continue and it is not considering the greater good of society because they're thinking about the greater good of themselves so we see that sodomy in many ways is the, is the ultimate selfish man and woman linked with sodomy of course is promiscuity that is part of the lifestyle of the, of the sodomite male and female it's promiscuity, but we see that it, of course, in the in 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 the in, in what we might so call the straight world, in, in, in the more natural relationships, you see uh, uh, promiscuity, and again that that leads to the same tendency to be a hedonite, to be to just just do anything in life to get your own pleasure, and, and so everything and everyone must revolve around you. So if that person does not suit you anymore, then you just get rid of them and move on to the next next person. So humans become objects. And you actually yourself become an object to other people. And you dehumanize yourself as well as dehumanizing others in these promiscuous uh, lifestyles. But then we have a more formal uh, immorality when we consider polygamy and unjust divorce and, and fornication and actual adultery. So very, very briefly then, polygamy, the sin of having more than one wife or husband at the same time. And yet the Lord... Uh, the Lord despises it. The Lord hates uh, polygamy. Mal Malachi 2 and verse 14 says, Yet you say, Wherefore? Why? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. 
And that doesn't really speak of polygamy, but it speaks of the, the tightness of God's understanding of, of, the, of the faithfulness between, that should be between a man and his wife. And I would say polygamy is a sin that is certainly contrary to God's institution of marriage. God created one man, and then he created one woman for that man. A helpmeet, a help that was meet for him. And interestingly, as we know from our own studies of the early chapters of Genesis, the first polygamist that we read of in Scripture was a very ungodly man, the wicked Lamech of the, of the, of the lineage of, of, of Cain. And he had two wives, and we know uh, what wickedness we, we, we see in him and in his offspring. But we can say, but hold on, weren't there patriarchs that were guilty of polygamy? And that is true, Abraham, Jacob, David, Solomon, Solomon especially. Uh, but there were others that committed polygamy. What do we say then? That everything that a patriarch did was good? No. These were bad deeds by good men. Good men as in righteous by faith. And they're never approved of in the Scriptures. They're not examples for our imitation. In fact, if we carefully study each of those multiple marriages, we see great problems that are brought into the families, and families are, are split up. Families are, are at war with each other. Now, these were recorded as warning lighthouses, as beacons to prevent us making shipwreck on the same rocks because the Lord has made it very clear. Unjust divorce as well is, is, is the prosecuting and obtaining a divorce upon any other ground that's not been warranted for us in Scripture. And, and scriptural divorce uh, can be given, as the Confession says. The Confession says it very compactly, so I'll just quote that. Although the corruption of man be such as is apt to study arguments unduly to put asunder those whom God hath joined together in marriage, yet nothing but adultery or such willful desertion as can in no way be remedied by the church or civil magistrate, is cause sufficient of dissolving the bond of marriage. Because God hates divorce. He says it in those words in the Scriptures. He hates it. But a godless society, of course, seeks many ways. And now you have things, I know they have it in the UK, and what happens in the UK seems to filter through to all the Commonwealth countries, at least in the, in the Western world is now you have no-fault divorce. So nobody has to be found uh, at fault. Nobody has to be proven uh, to be the adulterer or the adulteress, and then you are the innocent party, which is terrible, of course, for the innocent party. Maybe there are no innocent parties, and then they're allowed to divorce and continue their rot elsewhere. Fornication, then, what is that? In that very tight term, is uncleanness committed between a man and a woman, and both of them being unmarried, and that really was the, the, the very definition of heathendom. The morality of heathendom, and we didn't read through those, 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 um, those sins that are commanded against in Leviticus 20, but that all describes, as, as, as we read in the, in the summary, um, that describes the morality of heathens, and still does describe the morality or the immorality of heathens. And, and, and therefore, in the New Testament, when, when the heathen became a Christian, they, they needed to hear very clearly, no, 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 you must keep away from, from wickedness. And therefore, when we have the Synod of Jerusalem in Acts 15, the, 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 they were to abstain from idolatry, they were to abstain from blood, they were to abstain from fornication. 
because that was just part and parcel of the heathen world and we can look further into it but time is against us and then actual adultery is uncleanness committed between a man and woman either or both of them being in a married relationship and when they're both married both adulterers then that's a term called double adultery and that's what we have in the case between David and Bathsheba and the consequences to families and the consequences to children the consequences on society are terrible are terrible even to this day we have these terrible things so and so really when we consider these things today we as believers as professors of faith in Christ we must understand something more of the holy demands of God upon ourselves and those demands are not just on the outward side but also with the lips and also with the with the with the thoughts and the and the desires of the heart but realize that we are weak we are not strong if we think we're strong we'll be Pharisees in no time but knowing that we're weak it is the Lord that gives us strength when we seek that strength from him we're to pray we're to walk in the spirit uh, which will preserve us from falling into these lusts of the flesh but to keep that watch over our hearts out of which the issues of life come and we're to study the scriptures to understand what are the holy standards of God and how can I keep them how can I keep them I'm to desire to keep them in my in my thoughts and in, in in my mouth and in my actions and so we pray to the Lord for grace that we may know it understand it hate it and the sin and keep away from it to the glory of his name Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank thee for thy word and for what we've understood. Oh, the, the, the wickedness and darkness, filthiness of society. And yet, Lord, into that society we were born. Into that society, O oh Lord, we belonged. And yet by the rebirth, O oh Lord, thou hast drawn us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And yet we are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. And yet the world has its attractions, it has its power, it has its, its magic and entertainment, the music and comedy, drama. And Lord, we, we must confess that we uh, cannot resist these things easily, but we look to Thee for grace, that we would be reminded of the filth, that we would be reminded to flee from it. Lord, that we would be holy vessels, fit for Thy purpose. Help us, we pray, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.